Um, any other, um, I, I want to talk about um, John Lewis a little, but is there, were there any other uh, particular stories about Martin, about, I think you mentioned how he, he came into some church or the, the rows were empty in the, in the you had several stories about Martin. I thought maybe, uh, maybe you could give us one or two of those. Well, I'm, now I'm calling him Martin. I have no right to call him Martin. I got that from you. That's, I don't think Martin would mind. Uh, you know, we, 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 a few occasions, I had a, met with Martin at his house. Not just me. I mean, I'm just, I was just part of SNCC, student of our coordinating committee. Uh, but there were times different ones of us would become, you know, we had a central committee, a central committee. We had a group of people who came together, uh, on a regular basis and talked about where we were going. And occasionally I would be one of those people from the central committee who would meet with Martin at his house and we would, would plan out how we were going to go forward. And it was at Martin's house. Uh, that Martin was, was, was said, I may not go with you, you may not go with me, but I'm going to remain nonviolent. And no matter what happens, Jose, Hosea, no matter what happens, Andy, I'm going to remain nonviolent. And I didn't understand what Martin was saying. Now, why is he saying to them that he's going to remain nonviolent. He said, how are people going to view this if they see me getting protected, having protection when I'm saying I'm nonviolent? And it was a couple of days later that I found out that unbeknown to Martin, they had had security guards at SCLC. They'd always, they'd always had some security there, but nobody ever had a gun. So they had, they hired, uh, security guards with guns at SCLC. It was pretty bad times. I mean, it was, you know, white folk were, the, the FBI, the police, the business, they were, uh, 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 white folk was like, like the guy had said to me on the rate on the television, you know, if I knew where you were, I'd come kill you. I'd come shoot you. So it was pretty tough times. Martin said, what would people think if I said, if I, if they knew that we had a gun, and he didn't use, he didn't spell it out exactly at that meeting. He said, when I'm, I am nonviolent to the core and I'm going to remain that. He said, if I should die, so be it. But I'm nonviolent. I'm not, you know, I can't go out here and say, well, gee, you got to protect me. You know, you got, we're going to have an armed guard at the door of SCLC. Uh, uh, we're not going to do that. That was what he believed that at, at that time. And that was what worked for us at that time. Uh, uh, and, and so I understood. I said, "Wow, that's powerful." I didn't, I didn't know what was going on that night at Martin's house. Uh, but a couple of days later, I got the full scoop. I saw what, what it was, what, what was happening. That's one, one event that that I can recall. Uh, wow. So, so it's something we don't usually think about. If you're nonviolent, that means. You're not expecting to be violent, violence to happen towards you. It's sort of, how could you be not violent if you have people around you ready to shoot somebody? 
Yes. To protect you, even to protect yourself. Yes. It's it's yes. a it's a it's it's a difficult concept to to get your head around. Well, you know, my family members. <clears throat> it's like you this out in the peak, when I teach in the South Bronx, the kids in the South Bronx, they have guns. I said, "What do you what do you have a gun?" He said, "16-year-old kids." He said, "For protection." So this idea I have a gun that I, I'm going to use if I need to protect myself. As a teacher in the South Bronx, it was like, okay, I understand. It sort of makes sense on some level, but that's kind of what Martin is saying. I don't need a gun for protection if I believe in nonviolence. A absolutely. Uh, I don't need a gun. Uh, to protect me. And, and, and he was also saying that we need to say, I need to say to the rest of the people out there who don't have guns and who don't have that protection, uh, wh what are they going to think about me when they find out that I got all of this protection around me a a as a community leader? Now, I'm not saying that, that you can't have places where uh, 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 that you don't have protection. Uh, but Martin was a community person. Uh, John Lewis was a community person, and uh, uh, they didn't believe that that should be what we should be about. They just were, uh, uh, did not believe that. Now, where I was going to go was that when I started, wrote my family, and I think you were on my email list, and I said, I'm going out tomorrow, and I'm going to go down to the courthouse uh, in fact, you may have been the person that, that, that said that I should, I was saying, where should I go? I didn't want to go to the police station. And maybe you just verbalized this to me because the police station yeah. was a place of violence. I wanted to go to the seat of justice. So I went to the federal courthouse. That's the first place I took my protest, my one person protest to. I wanted to go to the seat of justice. Not police, not the seat of justice. The courts are the seat of justice. The legislature are, are, are make the laws. Uh, the police enforce laws and the justice uh, is meted out at the court. So, so that's where I wanted to be. So I went down to the courthouse with my one man, one person protest. And my family members said to me, well, be careful. And I would say back to them, what does that mean? <laughs> be careful. I I'm careful. I'm not going to walk out into in front of a speeding car. You know, uh, uh, I'm going to go down here on the sidewalk uh, with my sign that says I love John Lewis, with my sign that says I'm nonviolence, with my sign that said uh, equality for all, education for all, health care for all. That's what I had my signs and that's what I was going to say. But the they American said, flag. And the American flag. And they would say, be careful. Well, how can I be careful? Yes, I had the American flag. And, and, and uh, that was a key piece for me in some ways. I guess that was my protection. Except it wasn't. Because there would be uh, folk who would come by me. It was just interesting, Rob. There would be white folk who would come by me. Not all. Some white folk come at me and they would use the N word, attack me. Carol was there with me one day on, on, on the street corner. 
uh, and they would would attack. They would say, use the N word and say, why are you out here? You know, as they drive by. Wow. Uh, then I'm ever stopped uh, to attack me. Uh, uh, but they gave me some horns and some uh, fingers and uh, stuff like that. Uh, this is Mississippi. Uh, this is right, right here on Miss, in, in, in Gulfport, Mississippi. Yeah. Yes. 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 This was just a few months ago. Yeah. Uh, wow. And, and so that, that was part of what was happening. But when my family would say to me, be careful. What do you mean? Don't go? Right. I should do it. Let somebody else do it. You know, uh, I went out with, uh, with, with my protests and, and uh, I would say, I am nonviolent. And a few people actually stopped and said, I admire what you're doing. And they would, would get into very little dialogue with me, but they would say, I admire what you're doing. But I don't agree with those other folks. They're violent. I said, no, they're not violent. Violence is there, but they are not perpetrators of the violence. These people just marching down the street and then they turn and walk away. Uh, I had a few people to come to me, come by me, and they would give me coffee, <laughs> uh, give me a donut. Uh, and, and, and they, you know, it used to be white folk. And, and uh, I never worried that the coffee or the donut was tainted. You know, I just, I thought that they were sincere. I always thought that those people who offered me stuff were sincere uh, people. And black folks that, that would, would come by, would, would, would be coming by, and they would kind of, they didn't know how to take it. Some of them didn't know how to take it. Here's this black guy here protesting alone. Here's this black guy protesting with this white woman, just the two of them. They got to be crazy. Well, no, we weren't crazy. We were just saying that this has to change. Uh, so your newer diversity has to have a movement and you got to go out and do what you need to do to make change. That's how I see it. So uh, I, I saw your picture when the, uh, John Lewis's was in state. His body was going across the uh, Edmund Patterson Bridge for the last time. And uh, how did that? How how was that to you? Because I saw you in in, in uh, on TV. You you were part of that uh, that group on the side of the road there. <clears throat> well. Uh... I, I, I was there. I was there the first. I was. I did not get beat with that first group that went across the bridge. I got beat that night uh -huh. by the police after John was in the hospital. So you talking about the uh, seventh March, March seventh, nineteen sixty-five. Nineteen sixty-five. Yes, I got beat that night. Uh, uh, how did I feel? Uh, in March, uh, well, two months ago when, when John's body was carried across the bridge, I felt that John had led us in the proper direction. He had done all that he could do as a great warrior. And I loved John before, I loved John then, and all I could say uh, was goodbye. Some people wanted to be sad. Well, Rob, I, I, I guess I'm a little different than that. I, 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 I couldn't be sad. 
I could be happy that John had done his bit, his bidding for uh, our, our, our cause, uh, and uh, that he was nonviolent to the core, nonviolent to the very end. Uh, there were people there who were crying. Uh, there were people there who were bitter. I was not crying, and I was not bitter. I love John Lewis. My nonviolence is there with me, was with me then. Uh, there were people who, and it's with me now. There were people there who were from Georgia, whites, blacks, people from Tennessee, whites, blacks, people from Illinois, whites, blacks, uh, people who were saying, my age, who were saying, I wish I had participated back then, blacks, whites, and all I could say, I don't attack folk on that. Well, you could have, but you didn't. I don't go there. I just, in my, I, in my heart, I say, well, you could have, but you didn't. Uh, uh, and now you got all these people who say, I knew Martin Luther King. I knew John Lewis. Uh, uh, and I want to say, well, where, I don't ask them. But I want to say, well, where were you then? What did you do then? Oh, well, I had to get my education. Uh, I, I, I can't be, I'd see people from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I saw people there, not there, but I, I knew some people in the movement who would say, I'm not going to be nonviolent. I'm going to fight back with the police. Well, no. What are you going to fight? Fight with. You know, it's not the police. And I wanted to get to that point. It's not the police. I don't know if you, 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 you know, you, you asked me about my feelings about John. Uh, my feelings about John was that I love uh, John Lewis. Uh, uh, to the very end, uh, and he was, <clears throat> gee, uh, he was a person who would give his time to people. Uh, you could uh, you could go see John, go by John's office uh, in D.C. or in Atlanta, and if he were available, he would see you for a moment or two and just reach out to folks. John was a person who gave his time. Uh, to 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 two people. Uh, I went to John's house in in uh, Troy, Alabama. Well, it's not Troy, Alabama. They, everybody say Troy. I forget the name of that little neighborhood where John grew up <clears throat> in Alabama. I was there in Troy with John when we went to the uh, we went to the library. <laughs> and John didn't say that to those people, but he said to me, he said. Isn't it awful strange, Bob, that they have, they're honoring me here in Troy, Alabama, in this library, the same library that they wouldn't even let me, I can even step, step my foot in the door when I was a kid, and now they're honoring me. He said, he said how hypocritical. Uh, and they don't want to talk about what was, they want to talk about how we love John Lewis. He's a, he's a, a prodigy from, from our, he's a son from my hometown. He said, these folk, he said, they're full of it. Uh, and But I'm going in here and I'm going to speak and I'm going to talk about how happy I am to be in Troy, Alabama, that, that you opened up for me. Uh, and uh, that that's how, that's how John was. Okay. You've, that, been that was his, you've been to his house and... Uh, with his mother telling him what to do, 
Do you remember that story, or, or, or should yeah, I? Yeah, 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 yeah. John would would would, would come home, and uh, she would say stuff like, "John, go out and bring those chairs in here from the other room." Uh, John was John. He was not Congressman Lewis. He was her son, and he was a brother to the family. Uh, they they. John was, they didn't have him up on this high pedestal. Uh, uh, they treated, and he didn't put himself up there uh, uh, with his family, you know. Uh, we went there and they, they cooked, uh, we had some, some good cooking from, from the family members. Mama didn't cook, other sisters and, and, and folk cooked. And we had a great time. The neighborhood came, turned out for John uh, in, in, in his neighborhood. I wish I could remember the name of that little town. Uh, not town, that little neighborhood. Uh, but we, we had a great time. We rode over from from Atlanta uh, over to uh, Self to 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 uh, to uh, uh, Troy uh, to to be uh, for John to be honored. Uh, and we had a great old time uh, riding in the car and talking and sharing love with one another. And that was I think the way you put it, it was like uh, out there, Bob. I'm Congressman Lewis. Here at home, I'm just my mother's kid. That's right. I'm just John. Just John. <laughs> and he accepted that. He accepted that. I mean, I, I, I can recall, I don't know about, about John, but I can recall when I would go back home and my mama wanted some, uh, some needed two eggs to finish making the cake that she was making. And I was pretty active in the movement and, and, and uh, I thought I was a person of some stature, that, you know, but when I got home, uh, she said, Robert, Robert Lee, I want you to go to the store and give me two eggs. I said, yes, ma'am, mama. And I just go get two eggs. Or she would say to me, she wouldn't say to me, uh, somebody would be coming home uh, and they would be up in Jackson at the airport. That was 50 miles away. And somebody had to go pick them up in the car. I'd say, well, I guess that's me. I'm little Robert, I'm the, I'm the youngest. Uh, 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 and I'd get in the car and I'd drive up to Jackson and pick up the people and bring them, bring the family member back. And uh, they would then talk about stuff that I was doing in the movement. Uh, talk about what they'd seen me on television, what they had read about me in the newspaper, that I was with John Lewis or I was with Rap Brown or I was with Stoker Carmack. They'd seen me uh, uh, on, on television where I was talking about the, uh, the uh, uh, Merit of March. Uh, they had seen me on television with uh, 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 James Brown at the Merit of March. They had seen me with, and they'd say, well, wow, we saw that, but you're still robbing to us. I said, yes, I am. <laughs> they wouldn't put it, they wouldn't say that, but I'm still Robert. I'm Robert Lee. Yeah, and, and uh, so that's the way that is. You know, so anyway, yeah. Did you want to say anything about Stokely Carmichael? He's also a very big name I grew up with. Stokely. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but when Stokely became chairman of SNCC uh, in Tennessee, John was actually the chairman. John had won the election, fair and square that night and oh, worth long 
who was not even a member of SNCC, and said that this election was unfair, uh, that people voted who should not have voted. Uh, he wasn't even a member. And, and John said, what are you talking about, unfair? What was unfair? He said, well, the election was unfair. That's what I'm talking about. You should have had a roll call vote. And uh, Stokely started talking, saying, yes, it was unfair. We should have a roll call vote. Well, most of the people who had voted for John were gone home, back to their rooms, had gone back to their girlfriends, had gone to get some sleep because they were going to be driving out the next day to come back to Mississippi, driving out the next day to go to southwest Georgia, driving out the next day to go to lower Alabama. They had gone back to their rooms. So John said, I beat you once, and I'll beat you again, Stokely. And I was chairing the meeting. I said, John, you don't have to resign. You have worn this fair and square. And Cleve Sellers resigned. Rupert Doris resigned. And when they resigned, John was the third, only, was the third person. And John said, I resigned too. Whoa. And then we had a new election. And all of John's people had gone to bed. But he knew this. And Stokely won the election. And the next morning, when people woke up, they said, what's going on? I said, Stokely is now the new chairman. John is not the chairman of SNCC. Well, no, we had an election last night. Well. Uh, we had another election. John resigned. We had another election. John resigned. And Stokely became the chairman. Uh, then uh, we had to, shortly after that, Jane Meredith, uh, we had to march across Mississippi. March from, he marched from Memphis, Tennessee to Jackson, Mississippi. Well, he did. <laughs> we did. And he got shot in DeSoto County, Mississippi, which was one of my counties. I was a project director for SNCC uh, for uh, the 13 northern counties, uh, one of which was uh, DeSoto County. And I got a call from Cleve Sellers saying that I should go uh, and go and uh, to the hospital where Meredith was and participate and lead the march until they get there. And I went and I met with those people. Uh, <clears throat> and I became one of the coordinators for the marriage march. Uh, there were three coordinators. Me from SNCC, Bob Smith, 21-year-old. Jose Williams from SCLC uh, was one of the coordinators. And Herb Callender from CORE. There were three of us who were coordinators of the march. I was the youngest. My job was housing, and Stokely came, came over. He, he was our leader at that point, and he was the guy who talked about black power was not Stokely Carmichael, even though he was attributed to making the statement. It was Willie Ricks who made the statement, black power. Uh, he got the crowd going. He would always speak before Stokely, and he got the crowd going. <clears throat> And Sophie got up there, he started, he, he used the word black power. And the press, the press is something. 
they turned it, they said, Stokely come back to talk about black power. Well, Stokely didn't talk about black power. Willie Ricks did. But they pushed what Stokely had said. People were more energetic when Ricks was saying it. Black power, black power, we ain't black power, we ain't. And the people were responding to that. But what did the press do? They picked up to the people responding to Ricks to when Stokely said, black power. You know, Stokely, Ricks was saying, black power, we need black power. And Stokely said, we need black power. You know, he didn't, he didn't get it at first. And then once the press picked it up, then he saw the black power movement. Uh, and uh, then after Stokely spoke, Martin spoke. Uh, and Martin was not about that. Martin was, well, remember now, you had these young folk <clears throat> who were radicals. They saw us as radicals. And you had these <clears throat> SCLC people who were, you know, you don't see SCLC as a conservative group, but they were more, more conservative than SNCC was. And CORE was somewhere in the middle. <clears throat> uh, and at, on that march, things started to change. The money that we had been receiving. Meredith March. The Meredith March, yes. Oh, yeah. Jane Meredith March. The money that we had been receiving from people who cared about what we were doing, who supported our movement, started to dry up on the Meredith March. Started to dry up. Because our message had got muddled. And uh, <laughs> it kept getting more and more muddled. And uh, it became a different movement, Rob. It became a different movement. Uh, so, but Stokely... It was more. It was more violent oriented. More violent oriented. Yes. Just what we were saying before. It got. Uh, it got watered down. It got diverted. And Stokely was unaware of it that they were taking, that power was coming away. He thought he was going to be. He he saw himself as being in charge and being the power broker. Uh, but he wasn't. Stokely, call Michael. So then when Martin, go back to it. So Martin spoke after that. And how did that sound? Uh, Martin was saying, uh, you, you texting my, text my, text my memory here. Uh, Stokely spoke. And the crowd was very enthusiastic about what Stokely had to say. When Martin spoke, Martin talked about nonviolence and nonviolent behavior and how we were going to go and continue this march. And you know what, Rob? Folk were just as energetic about Martin because he was Martin Luther King as they were about what Stokely and Ricks had said. I'm sitting there, I'm standing there on the stage and I'm looking and I'm saying, well, damn, these are two different messages, but people are applauding for both. How can you go for two different, two, two messages that are dichotomy opposed to one another? You know, how can you go for that? And, uh, but the press continued to push this new thing about uh, black power, black power. Uh, and we do need black, we do need power. We need power, no question about it. Power needs to be shared. Uh, but but it, it got turned and it got turned in a way that uh, a nonviolent message started to leave us. A message about education, about schools, about why we were on this march. We were on this march for voter registration and voter education to get people registered to vote. Uh, and that's what we were about when we started. That's what, that's what it was about. 
and it got turned to start talking about power, black power, and not 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 voter education, not voter registration, not jobs. Did Martin Luther King take part of that in a different direction? Uh, he did not take. He didn't split up. He didn't split from Stokely. No, no. Uh, he, he he stayed true to his message. Yeah. Uh, but Stokely, he is talk, Stokely would always talk before Martin. That was always the way it was. Uh, and then when Martin would talk, Martin would summarize his message as the Baptist minister. And he was very good at that. So Stokely would talk, and no matter where we were on that march, going down to Jackson, Stokely would talk, and the people would rally, rally, rally around Stokely, what Stokely was saying. And then when Martin talked, people would rally, rally, rally around what Martin was saying. But the people of, uh, who were giving us the, the money, the people who were giving us the $5 and $15 and $25, started looking at that and saying, well, that's not the movement I want to be a part of. Because what they saw was what Stokely was saying. The press wasn't saying what Martin was saying. They were picking up on what, what Stokely was saying. And that became how we were going. So you have to be careful with your neuro, neuro how you said neuro diversity movement. It's neuro diversity uh, movement. You have to be careful yeah. about people taking away from it and doing what they want to do with it. Yeah. Right. Uh, on a on a very uh, micro level, um, I feel kind of passionately about these kids on, on the spectrum who and other kids that I don't know if you have anything to say about this or not, but but bullying is a very big part. My own kid was was I I, I went I talked about bullying on radio literally uh, th more than 30 years ago. And it's become a, a thing, this bullying and anti-bullying. Um, it's a tough situation in the schools. Uh, we have cyberbullying. We have suicides because of it. Um, so I don't know. Do you have a sense of of how to, you know, I'm looking for advice in terms of, you know, either the bullying of, of kids or advice for, for leaders of of the government or leaders of the of a movement. I mean, you know, I'm just trying to get some words of wisdom of of how we some practical words of advice from you. I, I only thing I could add to that, Rob, and maybe I can add it, maybe not, is to uh, stick to your message. You know, it's like when I was saying that I would deal dealing with, 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 with family members who had families who were, uh, uh, who couldn't talk, couldn't, he, couldn't hear. Uh, uh, and I would say to the, to the family member that uh, uh, you need to stick to your message. What is it that you want? And they didn't get it. But you have a community of folk out there who can hopefully get it and, 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 and get what you're saying. You said you've been talking about this for, for 20 years. Uh, you know, you just have to stick to your message and, and folk need to, to get that. Uh, uh, and, and, and people will. I mean, Mr. Trump today, 
uh, he has been pushing his message. Well, he has a base, but he doesn't have the rest of America. And hopefully the rest of America won't be uh, stymied by his, 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 what he's doing and refuse to come out and vote. They're just people, but you know, you got to stick with what you, with, with what works for you. And people, what works, he's sticking with what works for him. That's clear. Uh, and he's trying to convince other people that what worked for him is good for them. And people aren't, aren't buying that message. And hopefully, uh, on November 3rd, when the, it's the votes are found, uh, last votes are counted, that uh, he won't be in office anymore. Hopefully, uh, so so my my advice would be uh, stick to your message, and and uh, when you see other people in your community, other uh, leaders, other people who care, uh, have a message, and try to get them to stick to the message. Uh, and again, you have so many young people who uh, are in your field, who want to be. Uh, uh, who want to follow the directions. Well, there's so, so many of them are probably pulled, Rob, into uh, the, 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 the education that they're going to get has been the same education, it, it, it is, is controlled by the people who want to say, well, this is the way it's supposed to be done. But that's not what works for the kids or for the, for the folks that you're working with. That's not what works. This is what works. And uh, that's what I'd say you have to stick to. So when you hear, see other folks, I got a, a, a young cousin who uh, uh, told me he wanted to talk to you, uh, uh, who read some of your literature, who listened to you online. Uh, and, and he is in, uh, I want to say special education. I might have the wrong word. Do you call it special education? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. He 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 is getting his master's degree, and so so it's those people that that have to hear what you, what what you guys are saying, what you ladies and when I say guys, I don't mean just men. What y'all are saying about how to turn it? Because gee, <clears throat> people here, and I'm not. I, it's hard for me to go back to uh, social work, but. That, but and, and sociology, but it had to, it changed. You had to, you know, people start hearing different things. Uh, oh, wow. Well, that's what works. Well, you start talking about what works, and then people start saying, yes, that's what works. But you got a whole group of people out there who want to have it the old way, and the old way is not the way anymore. So you got to, you, you got to continue to be. The Ella Baker and the Mr. Law, Dr. Lawson, uh, and push for change. I, I love that sticking with your principles. I, I love that message, and I could thank you now and say goodbye. But I, I, uh, I wonder if you can. Your experience is so potent. I mean, you've had a gun at your head. You've been arrested so many times. You've been in situations of of trying to break the the colored barrier as they call it. Could you share with, share with us some of these experiences so we could uh, just know, know who you are a little more and, and your background and what you've been through? Well, 
You know, I, I grew up in a little town here in Mississippi. And, uh, and growing up in that little town, one of the things that I had to deal with, and my father had to know it, <clears throat> he told me to go buy a, new, a pair of shoes. I said, you gonna take me to the store? He said, no, you go down to Jack's shop and get yourself a pair of shoes. I said, how much should I pay for them? He said, just get yourself a pair of shoes, whatever you pay. And I went down to Jack's shop and I saw this pair of shoes that I wanted. Uh, and I said, I want to try on this pair of shoes. And the guy says, try on this pair of shoes. I said, yeah, I want to try on this pair of shoes. I want to, he said, what size you wear? I said, that's an interesting question. I said, I don't know. How about measure my foot? And I sat down in his chair and uh, he looked at me and he said to himself, hell, I want to make the sale. And he got the shoe tree. I don't know if that's what you call it. The measuring thing. And he put my foot in it. And he measured my foot. And he went and got a pair of shoes. And he brought them out. And I put them on. I walked around in the two shoes. And I said, that shoe's not wide enough. You got a, a wider shoe? Same same color? Same? He said, yeah, I got a D. And he went back in the back. And he came out with the D. And I put the D on. I said, that's, that's the pair of shoes I want. This is the pair of shoes I want. And I got the pair of shoes. <clears throat> now, what had happened before that was the black folk go to the shoe store and you'd say, I want a pair of shoes. They said, what size? He said, nine. Okay, they had nine B, C, and D. Maybe A. I don't know. Maybe me. I don't think they had E's at that time. But they had shoes. And you had to pick out the shoes you wanted. If it didn't fit, too bad. You couldn't it's try your shoes. You couldn't, you couldn't try them on, you couldn't bring them back. You know, black folk, white folk don't, don't you know, they don't, don't put, put their foot in the same, same shoe that a black person has put his foot in. Because that was Jim Crow. That's what that was all about. Okay, so I got home. Dad said, how'd it go? I said, fine. So he said, what pair of shoes you got? I said, I got these. Said, how much it cost? I said, $42. I just remember that. He said, he looked at me and said, good pair of shoes. He said, what happened? I said, he said, they fit. I said, yes, sir, they fit. You got to try them on, man. I, I, I tried them on at the store. I tried on two pairs. <laughs> he, said, he said, that's my boy. <laughs> so, so that's the way it was. You know, uh, black women. I worked at a, at a white, not white. <laughs> I worked at a clothing store. <laughs> white clothing store. That's what it was, really, pretty much. Called Benoit's in Brookhaven, Mississippi. Black teachers would come in that store. And they would say, I want the red dress. They said, okay, what size you want? I think I wear a 10. Okay, they take a 10 out the rack and they put it in the box and they give it to you. You go home with it. Either fit or doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. You got uh, Miss Mamie, who was a seamstress in town. She'd fix it up for you. You know, you had to pay her to fix the dress that you could have got one off the rack that was already fixed, that was already fixed, but you had to buy the dress. And I used to see this all the time. And Mrs. Purnell, she got married. Her name is now Mrs. Sullivan. She used to talk about it in school. She talked about how 
terrible that was. That you had, now, now we had speakers overhead where the, 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 the principal could, could listen in on any conversation that's right. going on in the classroom. So she would say, I'm going to talk about something that real key to me, a pet peeve of mine. And she would talk about that particular issue, you know, about clothes. And she would say, I hope Mr. Boo is not listening, you know, because she would share how she felt about Jim Crow, the Jim Crow South. And I heard her. Uh, she was my history teacher. She would say, I'm going to tell you something. I hope Mr. Boo is not listening to me. This history book, this Mississippi history book is a lie. It's full of untruths. Black folk did not like slavery. Black folk did not like being sharecroppers. She said colored. Colored folk did not like slavery, did not like sharecropping. Uh, this history book is a lie. Okay, so I said, wow. She said, you really want to know the truth? You won't find it in these books. You know, you find it from reading the black writers. You have to read what they're saying, you know. Uh, uh, and she'd give us some white people who had written some stuff. She'd say, this is what you have to read because this is a lie, you know. So that was part of what I grew up with. Uh, two other stories, you asked me about what it was like for me. <laughs> I grew up in a little town. They had ice cream parlor, ice cream store. No, no, nobody could sit down in this ice cream store. You came in and you bought your ice cream. They had two sides, two doors. One door the white people come in, other door the black people come in. Right next to each other. And they had a bar that went down the middle of the, uh, of the, uh, of the ice cream uh, 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 parlor. A metal bar made out of iron, iron bar, just iron pipe. Went down the middle of it. Black folk on the right, white folk on the left. That's interesting. I never thought about it that way. But it was this way. White folk on the left and black folk on the right. It should have been the way around, huh? Black folk on the left and white folk on the right, but it wasn't. Anyway, we would go in there. It'd be 20 black folk in this place. And one white person would come in. And they would wait on that white person. I said, these folk got to be kidding. So I'd say Hey, I'm next. I said, well, when I finish waiting on him, I said, okay, I got you. Okay. So what did I do? The next time I came in, I came in the white door. Came in the white side. I walked right up to the counter. I said, I want a strawberry and vanilla mixed ice cream cone. The person looked at me like, the black folk over on the right-hand side looked up. They look, you gonna get killed, boy. So, I, they, who that? What did they do? They waited on me. <laughs> they waited on me. So when I got home, I told my mother what had happened. She said, "Boy, you gonna get yourself killed." That's all she said. She didn't say you a fool. You gonna get yourself killed. You gonna get yourself killed. You can't be doing that, Robert Lee. Shut up, mama. I can do it. 
I don't have to put up with this crap. We don't have to put up with this crap. And what happened later on? The guy who owned the, the ice cream parlor closed it up because other black folks started doing what I was doing. He said, hell with that, we just walked into the place. So white folks stopped coming. So they closed it up. I guess the city fathers talked to him and said, hey, John, this is Jim Crow. We don't operate that way. We don't let them beat us back. So he closed his ice cream parlor. That was that story. I grew up in a blue town. My teacher, I was getting in my, sitting in my car getting ready to go, go in the store. And one of my teachers were ahead of me and he was getting ready to go in the store. And he walked up to the door and a white person came out. It was one of those, those kind of, uh, where, where you go in and, 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 and uh, they got the picture, pictures out this way where you can see all the clothes and stuff. And back, and the doors is, is is protruded inside. I don't know what you call it. Like like a uh, like a, a, a canopy, a window. A, uh... yeah, they had the windows out. Yeah, but you and uh, but in order for you to go in, you had to walk inside a little bit in order to go through the door. Right. Well, this guy was there, and a white person came, and he backed back out. That's a rebellion. And then he started back up to the door again, and some white person came from the outside that was going in the same, and he backed back out. And that went on, I sat there for 20 minutes watching this man do this stuff. I said, he is one crazy person. I mean, he, you know, I said, Mr. Kelly, that's his name. He's dead now. Uh, I said, he is one crazy person. He's scared. You don't have to put up with that crap. So I got out of my car and I walked up there and I just walked right in. In other words, he white just folk. kept on letting white folk go in in front yeah, of him. Yeah, he, because he, he, had, he, he, oh, he had to be respectful. Jim Crow. He had to respect the, the rules of Jim Crow. So I just walked right in. And then when I got in there, uh, I waited my turn. And the lady behind the counter said, next? I said, I'm next. And the white folk looked at me like, what do you mean you next? I'm next. That's what I said. I'm next. I, I didn't raise my voice like that. I said, I'm next. And they looked at me like, and the woman looked at me. I said, yes, ma'am. I like to have this and that and the other. Because they kept stuff behind the counter. <clears throat> so she waited on me. I got my stuff, and I left the store. I just wasn't going to put up with that crap. You know, another how story. Old, how old were you? How old, how old were you with, with this? Oh. 16 at best, 15, 16. Two other stories I tell you about it, about that. No, no, uh, keep going. I, I, I have two other stories. I mean, that, that's the end of that one. I want three. I, huh? No, go ahead. Just, go ahead. I want four. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this story, they had a drugstore. And at this time, they sold rubbers, prophylactics, <laughs> behind the counter. You couldn't get them. They want, like now you can go in the drugstore, you just get what you want. 10 different kinds. Well, then they had the 25 cents one, <laughs> which would break soon you put the sucker home. <laughs> the 50 cents one, uh, which is better. And then they had the one that was lubricated, which was, I don't know what the difference between lubricated and unlubricated, but they cost more. So I come into the drugstore and there was a white girl behind the counter. 
black folk were coming to the drugstore, and if it was a girl behind the counter, they wouldn't get any. I walked in the drugstore, I want, what's the name of prophylactics? Sheepskin, sheepskin. I want sheepskin prophylactics, the one, whatever the brand was. She got them and gave them to me. And people looked at me like, man, you got to be crazy. You, you find that white girl, you told her to give you a rubber? Say, yes, she working behind the counter. You know, if you sell beer, if you're at the beer store and you're selling beer behind the counter, you could be 12 years old and you come in and you buy the beer. But if you come into a, 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 a drugstore and a white girl behind the counter, you can't get a prophylactic because she's a white girl or a white woman. You got to wait till the man is there. What the hell was that crap? <laughs> I just got, what I, got you know. Now, nobody's just like, okay, yeah. But there was a Jim Crow rule. People so didn't want to violate the rule. Wasn't the law. They knew what the law, the law and the Jim Crow rule was. It's like, put down the black person. What, what can we do to put down the black person? So I said, that's what I want. Hmm. <laughs> One other story. <laughs> you know what, as back then, was, did you call it Jim Crow law? Did you actually? Yeah, actually Jim Crow era. Yeah, it was Jim Crow. Yeah, it was called Jim Crow. Yeah, they knew what it was. Yeah, they did everything they could to put the black person down, to 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 make the rules so that it was to their benefit. <clears throat> yes. Okay. Uh, in my school, I went to Alexander High School. They invited the superintendent over to talk. Uh, they invited my doctor over to introduce him. They invited all of the kids. Now, this all, is only black folk now. The school was segregated. He came, and he had one of his assistants with him. And they invited him to come up to the stage. We sang some songs. I wasn't in the choir at that point. I don't know why I wasn't in the choir. But I wasn't in the choir at that point. Uh, maybe it was football season. And... He, uh, they introduced him, and he talked. Uh, May Robinson, who was the band director, he says, Professor, Professor Robinson, you did a very good job with your kids in this band. Very good job with these boys and girls. And uh, Mr. Nobles, and Mr. Hendricks were the choir directors. He says, Professor Nobles, Professor Hendricks, these kids, these children are wonderful. They have some beautiful voices. You have done a great job with them. Then he said, Professor Boy, he's the principal. Your kids, your school, your kids are very, very attentive. Because everybody's sitting there. Nope. Not saying a word. Not even talking to each other. The superintendent is here. You got to be on our page. They told us when you all come to our auditorium, the superintendent is going to be there. We don't want no talking. You just pay attention to what he's saying. Even if you don't care what he's saying, just look like you care. So, so, so he came. And then when Dr. Rob, Dr. Allot, had, had, had introduced him, he says, Albert, I just want to thank you for, for, for having invited me over here. This was wonderful. Albert Light is a damn doctor. 
the doctor, the black doctor. I said, then he, then he said, he turned and he says, anybody got any questions? So a couple of kids asked, asked some questions. I don't know what they said. Then I raised my hand. And Dr. Lott said, oh, that's Robert Smith. That's one of my protégés. He's my, one of my special students, one of my special kids. He works for me. And uh, so I stood up and, and uh, Dr. Lott <coughs> and uh, Superintendent Lipsy standing there, he says, yes, what do you want to say? You got a question? I said, yes, sir, Mr. Superintendent. I do have a question. He says, I said, that's Miss Purnell. She's our, not Miss Purnell. That's Miss Robinson. She's our band director. That's Mr. Nobles. That's Mr. Hendricks. That's Mr. Boyd. That's Dr. Lott. You should be respectful, sir, and call those people by their title. These aren't professors. They're not professors. And Dr. Lott said, sit down, Robert. <laughs> you, know, you know, they thought, I don't know what he thought I was, you know, you got to be kidding. You know, you treat us with this disrespect and we supposed to stand there and take it like, like chickens. You know, not chickens wouldn't even take it like that. They'd be cackling. We supposed to stand there and take it. You know, like a, a mule, say, not say a word, just, no, you going to feed us. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, you're going to feed us. No, we didn't go for none of that. And what we do, he ended the, the, the meeting and he left out. That was it. That was it. <laughs> nothing else said. <laughs> nothing else said. He left. And then I went to Dr. Lott's office that evening to clean up. And what did he say? Good job, Bob. No, not Bob. Good job, Robert. Good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was glad I did what I did. But he didn't, uh, he just, sit down, Robert. <laughs> Damn, you're the doctor. This man is the superintendent of school. You're the doctor. You don't, you, you know, he didn't even have privileges at the hospital. The one black doctor in the town didn't have privileges at the hospital, you know, until 1964, and that was only because the uh, they passed the law, Medicare, I think it was Medicare law, where you had to and black folk could come into the hospital through the front door, you know, it had to be integrated hospital, and that's when they integrated the hospital. It was because the federal government said if you don't have access to your place as a business, we are not going to give you any of this Medicaid money or Medicare, whichever one it was, money. So they said, oh, all right then. Yeah, we do. we'll do that. So, so, that, so they changed. But before that, black folk had to go into the hospital through the back by the garbage dump. You know, it's smell of garbage dump. You had to go into where they took all the trash food out uh, 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 slop. You had to go in by the slop to go into the hospital. And they had a ward. It went on the ward. You didn't have no rooms. White folk had rooms. Black folk had a ward with 20 beds lined up in, uh, in there. Wow. I said, Damn, this is terrible. I remember that. 
And who were the nurses? The best nurses they had at the hospital were black nurses who went to Tuskegee, nurses from Tuskegee. The white women had to pay homage to the black nurses, but the black white women were in charge, but they were the dumbest, dumb as a rock. Anyway, <laughs> and we knew that. We knew that. Uh, and then finally, Dr. Lott got privileges at the hospital. Finally, he got privileges at the hospital. Oh, one other story about Lott. <clears throat> I was there in his office one day, one night, when this white guy comes <clears throat> with his wife, she's going to deliver a baby. And they were trying to make it to the hospital, but they couldn't get there. So he knew there was Dr. Lott's office. So he stopped at Lott's office, and he brought his wife inside. And he said, my wife is delivering a baby. You got to deliver the baby. And what did Lott do? What do you think Lot did? I'm asking you, what do you think he did? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. you, you Lot got on the telephone and he called the hospital and he said, I got this white woman down here. She's delivering a baby. Y'all got to send down somebody down here to, take, to, to deliver this baby. And the doctor on the phone said, he said, what's happening? He said, the baby's coming. He said, deliver the baby. And Lot delivered a white baby. And after that, he said, that scared me to death, Robert. I had to deliver this white baby. I ain't never seen it. I thought they might lynch me. <laughs> you know? He was serious. Huh? He was serious. He was serious. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, he called the hospital. They wow. wouldn't even give him privileges. You know, anyway, so that, that, that's another story about him. Oh, one other story about him. <laughs> he bought a car. Okay, he wanted to buy a new car, and I went with him to pick up his new car to trade. To, to trade, he had done all the stuff; everything was taken care of. He went to get the car, and he had a young boy who was a salesperson who said, "Yeah, this is your car." He said, "This is a good car for you." He said, "This is a good used car for you." He's a doctor. What do you mean good used? I said, "Why you get this car?" He said, because that's what the car told, that's what they told me to get. I said, damn, that's what they told you to get. I, I didn't say, you know, I didn't, 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 didn't come back. I said, damn, that's what they told you to get, to get this car? They told you what car you had to get? I said, damn, <laughs> you just like Mr. Kelly. You just got education, but you just like, you got more education than Mr. Kelly, but you just like Mr. Kelly. So, so that, that's that story. You want to hear another story? Sure. Go for it. <laughs> you said four. This is number four. I'm not keeping track. <laughs> uh, Carol said, I got to go cut the grass. <laughs> See, you've been, I've been ordered around. <laughs> I'm just a regular guy in this house. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, uh, I was probably 16, coming home from school, walking. And I always walked the same way. I was walking by this house, and this woman comes out. I wish I could remember her name. I might before I finish the story. She comes out. I used to pick pecans for her. For her. I used to pick up pecans for people. And I always picked up pecans for people on halfers, which means I get half the pecans and they get half the pecans. There were other kids who would come and they'd pick up pecans and they would uh, they would give them $3. Well, hell, if I pick up all them pecans, 
I get twelve dollars for my my half, and they get twelve dollars for their half. And they like me picking up their pecans because I would climb the tree and shake the pecans out the tree, and they would take the other kids would take those sticks up in the tree, and a stick would damage the tree. It wouldn't have such such good pecans the next year, and they knew that. So they would hire me to pick the pecans. They said, how much you gonna charge us? I said, half us. They said, what? I said, half us. Half us? Can't give you no half. Said, okay, thank you. Said, okay, we can do half us. So, cause they wanted me to pick their pecans. So this woman, I came by a house one day and she stopped me, she was on the porch. She says, Robert, come over here. I said, yes ma'am. She said, I want you to wash my windows. You got time to wash my windows? I said, yes, ma'am. I can wash the windows before I go home. <clears throat> she said, I want you to start right here and go that way to the left. Go all the way around. But don't do this side. Don't do the right side window yet. Do the left side and go all the way around. So I did the front window on the front porch. I went around to the side and I did the window into the living room. <clears throat> and then I put the ladder up on the house and I went up the ladder. The next room was the bathroom. I went up the ladder. And what did I see? This white woman in the bathroom standing up in the tub, lathering up, taking a bath, lathering up, just lathering up. So, what did I do? I climbed. I was hugging the ladder, Rob. I was hugging the ladder. I crawled down the ladder. I threw the bucket on the ground. I threw the rag on the ground. And I started running. I ran part of the way to go home. I went home. Wow. And <clears throat> two weeks later, Travis, that's her name, Mrs. Travis. Mr. Travis came home and caught his wife having sex with a black guy who lived up the street from me. And <clears throat> he pulled a gun on him, didn't kill him. Pull a gun on him, call the police. The police took him to jail. They were going to lynch him for raping the man's wife. The sheriff got the guy, because they knew it was made up. They got the guy, and he told his deputies that he was taking the guy to Jackson, to jail. But he took the guy south to Macomb, because he knew the deputies were going to tell the white people who wanted to lynch him. So they, the, the mob was out there waiting on him out past my house, waiting on him because they were going to stop the sheriff and, uh, and, and lynch this guy. But the sheriff went the opposite direction. <clears throat> and I said to my daddy, I said, Daddy, I said, let me tell you what happened two weeks ago. So I told him what happened. I didn't tell him that night when it happened to me <laughs> because I would have been blamed for doing something wrong. That's what I thought. So <clears throat> I told my daddy what happened. He says, you can't tell this story. I said, why? He said, because you're a color boy. They won't, they'll, they'll, arrest, they'll get you for, uh, what's the word? Uh, lying in court. Perjury. they get you for perjury. I said, but that's what happened. No, but you can't say that. So they sent this kid off to jail, sent him to pardon prison for raping this guy's wife. The wife never testified. The husband testified. Okay, and then in a few weeks, what happened? They left town. They closed up their shop and moved away. Moved away. 
because people knew they knew what had happened. She was a a a, a woman who liked black men. That's all. I don't know if it's like white boys or not, but she liked young black men. I know that because I was one and the other guy was one. I don't know who else. Anyway, the guy came home and caught him. So they Jim Crow at work. So some of these people accused of rape. Some might rape white women. Might rape women. Some rape rape happened. No question about that. But not in that case. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, one last thing before you go. I mean, I remember in the convention, a guy got up and he talked about the Woolworths incident. And uh, I thought you might be familiar with that a little bit about the integration in, in a Woolworths. Uh, no, not at all. I tried to go to a Woolworths and I never got inside. They arrested me outside on the sidewalk. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, 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 we we were going as as groups to try to go to Woolworths to integrate the one in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, <clears throat> I was going to Woolworths with a group, and they arrested the group and put them on a school bus and took them to the to the uh, they they had us at the uh, fairgrounds. We had hundreds of us, maybe even thousands of us at the fairground because we've been coming in waves to go to Woolworths, to go to Woolworths. <clears throat> so when my group came, they put all of them on the bus. And what they do with me? They put me in the back of the paddy wagon. So I, they knew I was a leader. Okay, so they put me in the back of the paddy wagon. <clears throat> and then the paddy wagon takes off and he, whoop, 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 whoop. I'm in the back of this thing, you know, just, and they just speeding and turning. <clears throat> and then they stop. Oh, what's gonna happen now? So when they stopped, they took tear gas. Are you the only, gas. Are you the only one in the paddy wagon? Who else? I'm, on, I'm the only person in the paddy wagon. Wow. They, they took tear gas under the paddy wagon. Oh, somewhere around the paddy wagon. I thought I was gonna die. Mm. And, and if, cause I got nothing, there's nothing I can do. I'm inside the back of the paddy wagon. So then they take me out the paddy wagon, put me in a police car and take me to the fairgrounds. But I never got to eat lunch at the Woolworths. So I'm at the fairground for three days. I'm agitating. So what do they do? I'm getting people not to eat to turn over the they were feeding us from these uh big kettle drums, like 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 uh what'd you call it? big pot, wash pot. They were feeding us from the because they were feed they had to cook our food and, and so they were just cooking in these big pots. And I'm getting people to turn the food over and the protest and to sing songs and all kind of stuff. So what they do? take me and put me in the back of another paddy wagon. So they know what they're doing. And they take me to the city jail. <laughs> Just me. That, they, had, they had other leaders already at the jail. They had already done that to other folk, but this was my turn. So I said, oh, well, man, they should take me to jail. So when they got me on the out, out paddy wagon, I said, mm, I'm fixing to get my butt kicked now. Because everybody who got out, who they put on the elevator, they kicked their butt. When they got you on the elevator, they stopped the elevator mid-flight mid and just kick your butt, three or four cops. I said, well, I guess this is my turn. <clears throat> so I'm on the elevator. And what I do? I don't say a word. I said, well, I guess this is my turn. <laughs> I said, let's get my butt kicked. <laughs> so they don't stop the elevator. They take me right up to the floor, take me out. I said, damn, I must have. 
I'm glad I didn't talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so they put me in the jail with the other guys. And I stayed there for a while. So, but you know, I'm, I'm upset about that even today, Rob, that I didn't get to eat lunch at Woolworths. <laughs> so I do have some knowledge about Woolworths. Well, and of course, Woolworths was the store. In fact, that's how they defined the town, if it had a Woolworths. Yes. Yes. So that was a defining uh, emblem of, of township, in a sense. That's right. <clears throat> White folk came to Woolworths and ate lunch. Sat at the lunch counter. <clears throat> we couldn't sit there. We couldn't even, now, now who served food at the lunch counter? Black folk. <laughs> <laughs> but but you couldn't sit down. <laughs> you, you couldn't get service there. It was amazing. It was amazing. I hope you found value in that episode. Make sure to like and follow me on Facebook, Rob Bernstein hyphen Autism Speech, and on Instagram at Autism Speech. For updates and live Zoom calls with me, feel free to email me any questions to rjb at autismspeech.com. That's rjb at autismspeech.com. See you next time.